1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Welfare. I'm Amy Lane, and each week we break down the barriers to running so you can get more from your time in your trainers. I'm currently taking an extended break to learn how to juggle a toddler and a newborn but that doesn't mean you have to rest up too so I thought it would be handy to revisit some of our most loved and most listened to episodes from the past seasons. The advice and expertise is as useful today as it was back then so prepare yourself for the cracking tips from the experts around the globe. Together we'll help you reach your running goals this year. Today's episode is a rerun from season one and it's a fabulous mix of expert advice and inspiring run chats, plus a 16-week guide tailored to support your marathon journey. So if you've started 2022 with that goal in mind or if you are just keen to run for fun, then we are here to help you through. Keep up the good work and when you start flagging, why not get involved in the Wellfast Strava Club or support each other from afar on Instagram? Using the hashtag WellFar. I hope you enjoy this episode and I really hope it helps you to keep going WellFar this year. Welcome to WellFar, the weekly running podcast that will be by your side as you train for 26.2. It's hosted by me, Amy Hopkinson. By day, I'm Women's Health Digital Editor, but when not in the office, I'm a marathon runner too. So this year, with the race on the horizon, I'm here to help with blisters and bruises, runners' highs and lows, what to eat before Sunday run day, and how the heck you refuel after. So put on your trainers, plug yourself in, let's get going. Hi everyone, and welcome back to WellFar. I can't believe we are this far through the series already. What a great run it's been terrible pun, I am sorry. I am happy though this week to be recording this podcast because a couple of great things have happened. So first of all I have got rid of my sniffly cold which you guys might have heard in last week's episode. I wasn't feeling my best so I am glad to be feeling back normal and buoyant and ready to run again and the second thing is I've been back running. I got back into my marathon training this weekend and damn, it feels good. In fact, it really felt the best at around kind of 13 miles of 17 and a half on Sunday. And that's because I looked down at my watch to, to see the time actually, when I felt it kind of vibrate to say that I'd hit my 13th mile. And I looked at the time And when I looked at the time, I was running around 20 minutes slower for the 13 miles than I was at this point last year. And that might really surprise you guys that I was happy about the fact that I was running slower. But it was kind of testament to the fact that I'd stuck to my guns. So after my wedding, I decided that rather than race Paris Marathon, I was going to run it. And what i mean is i am no longer chasing a time so when i set off on this podcast journey and my marathon journey i was actually on a plan which was designed to get me over the finish line at around 350 which is quite a punchy time for me anyway but obviously life has got in the way and there's been a whole load of stress and other things which have happened and my wedding And that's just meant I haven't had as much time for marathon training as kind of I hoped for, I wished for this year. And so rather than push on through and risk causing myself stress in both mind and body, I've decided that I'm gonna chill out and just really, really enjoy the next eight weeks of my training and really enjoy marathon day. And so not clock watch and not get stressed about times and instead just take it all in. And so when I looked at my watch on Sunday and I saw that I was running 20 minutes slower, I was really happy because I'd gone out on that run and I just ran by how it felt rather than by letting my ego rule my rule my feet and rule my times. And so yeah, it felt really good. And in fact, feeling good and knowing when you're feeling good is something which comes up in this week's episode. I have a great expert in the studio who is going to talk to you guys about something which sounds very techy, but it's actually really easy to do, which will help you know how your body is coping with marathon training and help kind of dial down the chances of overtraining. So that is coming up. I also go on a run with the very lovely and very mighty Alice Living, and we talk about training for positive gains. But before I go on that run or head into the studio, just a couple more things from me. I've been kind of getting back into the kitchen, but cooking smarter rather than cooking more. Um, I was really, really inspired by last week's episode with Anita Bean to spend a bit of time making one meal so that you can cook once but eat twice or thrice. And so this week what I did was I cooked a roast chicken on the Sunday and we had a lovely roast dinner after my massive, massive run. And then on Monday we used some of the leftover chicken to make a fajita bowl. And this literally took all of five minutes. We got some of the chicken, we put it, a bit of chipotle paste on it and then we got some sweet corn, we mashed up an avocado. Um, we keep packs of frozen quinoa in our freezer so often I will cook up a saucepan of quinoa and then I will portion it down and so we whacked that in the bowl and it was kind of a meal all pulled together in a matter of minutes. And then the next night we came in and we made fake away pizzas, which is one of our favourites Um, And to do that, we use tortilla wraps and you load them up with tomato paste and then you put on any toppings you want. And so we used up the last of our roast chicken and then we just cut up a courgette really finely and some onion. I crack an egg in the middle because it just makes it a little bit nicer. And then you put it in the oven for eight minutes and that is it. And it's just so easy. So I. that during marathon training one of the things which can make the stress of running and training feel a little bit more bearable is to find ways of making the rest of life a little bit more simpler. So for me that is spending less time in the kitchen so I can spend more time running or more time soaking in the bath. So that's what I've been doing. Let's head into the studio to find out how we can all train a bit smarter or Be a little bit healthier this marathon journey and then head out on our run with this week's guest, Alice Living. Let's all keep going well far. This week, I'm very excited to welcome Simon Wegeriff into the studio. Simon is an entrepreneur, inventor and biomedical engineer with a passion for cycling, triathlons and Ironman. In fact, it was this training that inspired the creation of his health tech business called iThlete, which has been changing the way people train since 2009. Using heart rate variability, or HRV, he has helped thousands of athletes to know when to train, how hard to train, and more importantly, when to rest. Today, I'm going to be asking him about that and why tracking heart rate is really important for us runners. Welcome, Simon.
0: Thank you, Amy. Very happy to be here.
2: So, you obviously came onto my radar because Hmm. you have your business, iThlete. Yeah. Can you explain what ICLIT is and what you do?
0: Yeah, sure. So maybe just starting with um, HRV. And HRV stands for heart rate variability. Now this was originally used as a medical measure, but it's 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 been used since in the space programme, Formula One, and more recently in athletics to measure stress and recovery. So what it actually does is it's different from the average heart rate that you would get, for instance, uh, first thing in the morning or whilst you're actually out training. So it actually measures the precise time gaps between the heartbeats as you breathe in and when you breathe out. And that can actually tell us something about the body's um, nervous and regulatory control systems, which are very useful in helping us decide how stressed or recovered you are.
2: And so rather than it being just where your heart is, at that very moment. It's, yeah. it's more a measure of kind of how your heart is over the whole day or the whole week.
0: It's actually a measure of the variation. So most people would think that while we're Sort of sitting at rest comfortably, that your heart is beating somewhat like a metronome. Let's say you have a, a resting heart rate of 60 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. That means there's a beat every one second. Well, that's actually not the case. There is variation. So one beat might be a bit less than a second, the next beat will be a bit more than a second, and then the next beat will be a bit more than that. And the way that that changes can actually tell us a lot about the control that the brain is exerting on the body in response to the Current demands that it has on it so it's an adaptive mechanism to help us function really efficiently but luckily when we look at this and we measure this heart rate variability which is usually done just as a very brief measure every morning it can tell us an awful lot about how well our body is functioning on that particular day.
2: So is it the higher the heart rate variability the more stressed your body is? No, the other way round. The other way round, yes, <laughs> okay.
0: yes. So, in fact, a very constant heart rate is the sign of a very of a very stressed body.
2: If your heart rate is pretty constant all the time, is that a bit like I think I've heard you say that it's stretching elastic band out to as far as it can go, and then there's no more movement.
0: Yeah, basically. So a very constant heart rate is a sign that a person is stressed. So what we like to see is lots of variability, particularly when you breathe in and when you breathe out. And that's what we do in the iThlete app in order to measure this in a consistent way every day. And basically the more variation between when you breathe in, your heart accelerates, when you breathe out, your heart goes slower. And You might be able to detect this yourself if you practice something like yoga breathing. You'll often notice that when you exhale, you seem to feel calmer. And the reason for that is that the heart actually slows down and you become more what's called parasympathetic dominant. And the parasympathetic nervous system is the part that's responsible for rest, digestion, and recovery. And it's that part that we want to be able to measure every day to tell you whether or not you're in any danger of overtraining when you're preparing for your marathon.
2: Yeah, because I was about to say so how does this all come into play with athletes and why is it Mm. important?
0: Why it's useful in training Um, is that we do a reading basically every morning, ideally uh, seven days a week, but let's say you train four or five days a week, then you should do a measure on the training days. And what happens is that over a short period of time, you build up what's called a baseline. And then you look for deviations in your daily measure compared to the baseline. So if you're higher than baseline with your HRV in the morning, all is good. You're fully recovered, you're ready to train, go as hard as you like, intervals, tempo sessions, etc., if your HRV is a little bit lower than normal, it's a sign that perhaps you're not fully recovered but no reason necessarily to stop. You might want to choose a slightly less intense or a slightly shorter workout on that day. If your HRV is significantly below your baseline, particularly for two days in a row, then we need to take that as a sign that the body is stressed and it needs more time to recover before you're ready to go out again. And it's been shown many times that uh, sort of uh, soft uh, tissue injuries and illness are greatly increased when people are on low HRV days compared to when they train when they're they're close to their baseline or even above it.
2: Oh, God, I'm just thinking back to last marathon season when I definitely pushed myself through some training sessions when mm. I knew I was probably mm. too tired to train yeah. and I did it anyway.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people do do that, um, particularly if they are... You know, they are preparing for a marathon. It's perhaps a big step up to what they've done before in park runs or 10Ks. And unfortunately, the injury statistics are not very good. So something like 30% of of runners will have their training, their marathon training plans disrupted uh, by injury or sickness. And what we want to do, therefore, is to be able to add another simple measure that you can do every morning when you wake up using a smartphone, either an iPhone or an Android uh, model, And it can tell you how close you are to your baseline. And and what we and and some other people who've followed since have done is use a traffic light scheme. So if you've got a green light on a particular day, then you're all good. You know, you can go out and train confidently um, that your body's not overstressed. If you get an amber, it's not necessarily a sign that you have to... Ease up, but it is a sign that your body isn't fully recovered. Right. And you can do things like you can reduce training, but you can also increase the uh, lifestyle factors that assist your recovery. And the re- there's three really important factors that will assist your recovery. The biggest one by far is sleep. So making sure you pay good attention to sleep hygiene, get enough sleep, make sure the quality of that sleep is good. The second one is diet. And, you know, if you are training for a marathon, you're going to be breaking down your muscles continuously and rebuilding them. So making sure you've got enough protein in your diet, particularly if you're a vegetarian or vegan, making sure you've got enough good quality protein for your body to be able to repair the muscles is really important. And the third factor is your own stress management. Now stress is not an absolute thing. It's actually the difference between the demands that are placed on us in everyday life, which are often quite a lot nowadays, let's be let's be honest. Yeah. And your perceived ability to cope. So your mm. stress is actually in your head. So you can do a couple of things to alter your stress. One is that you can actually, you know, you can actually help your your own busy schedule by perhaps planning and, you know, planning better in advance or cutting out non-essential things. But you can also improve your ability to perceive that stress as not too damaging. And I think particularly meditation, deep breathing, yoga and other techniques like that are very helpful. And the lower the stress you have, the harder you can train. Your body can only deal with what's called a total load actually that's a formal term for it which is the sum of all of the stresses on your body so if you recover better you can train harder and you can train harder safely and healthily which means you're going to get better results and a better chance of you know achieving your goals.
2: You only know how much you need to recover when you realise how stressed you are, I suppose.
0: You do. And the thing about HRV is that it will ruthlessly reveal how stressed you are. So,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Now that you're saying that, I'm thinking back to... The things which I did last year and um, I did try to, I set myself quite an unrealistic goal Mm -hmm. I've now discovered um, Mm. for running a half marathon really fast um, back in October. But at that time I had a hell of a lot of life stress. I moved house twice. Um, I took on a lot more work and all of these things. And I couldn't understand during my training why I wasn't getting faster or why on race day actually I ran my slowest half marathon of the year Probably turns out I wasn't very well recovered from every session because I was highly stressed.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and this whole concept of total load, in fact, it's a relatively recent, but it's a really important thing. So I think it was two years ago now, the International Olympic Committee got together a really big group of experts to write a couple of long papers on managing total load in athletes because injury and illness rates were were seen as being way too high so they wanted to look at all the different factors that were affecting athletes and as well as the obvious ones that I mentioned the sleep diet and exercise there are of course other things like travel so you know if you're spending a long time in the pressurized cigar tube and um (laughs) crossing uh, time zones, which is very yep. common in in, uh, in America or even perhaps European travel now, then all of these things contribute to the total load and detract from the amount of capability or headroom your body's got to deal with the training load you're putting on it.
2: So total load is such um, an interesting concept because I think speaking from experience, I used to think that stress was just me screaming, screwing my face up and feeling stressed and not realising that exercise was a stress on your body too. Is that Mm. something which you've seen in the past?
0: Yes. So training is all about stress and recovery, in fact. So during your runs, you definitely stress your body. And for a while afterwards, it is weaker. Um, but the the miracle of what's called supercompensation is that the body adapts and makes itself stronger during the recovery period. So, yes, exercise, physical work is definitely a form of, of stress and it leads in the short term to a decrease in performance. But recovery and recovery has to be assisted by adequate um, rest and nutrition for your body to rebuild itself. It super compensates and rebuilds itself to be a little bit stronger each time than it was before if you give it the chance to recover properly, which means then that your body can cope with a slightly higher load the next time.
2: Good. It's all now making sense in my mind when people say to me, you get fitter on rest days.
0: You do. You absolutely do get fitter on the rest days. Yeah.
2: Aha. There you go, guys. Another nugget of information there.
0: Yeah. And during the first four hours of sleep as well. So the first four oh. hours is the uh, are some of the key hours to get right because those those are the hours which are associated with the the the, the deepest um, slow wave sleep and um, with the human growth hormone as well and testosterone production, both in women and men. A lot of women don't realise that testosterone is uh, is an important hormone in their bodies as well. But uh, yeah, those two key hormones are the ones that help you rebuild. And it's during the slow wave sleep, which is the first four hours are really critical for that.
2: Oh, my God, it's so interesting. And so obviously using the app, how does it take your HRV? How do you actually do it?
0: Yeah. So what you do is it's just first thing in the morning, immediately after waking up, go to the bathroom quickly if you need to, because that's also a, a source of stress or can be. And then you can use a couple of different kinds of sensors. One would be the kind of chest strap that mm-hmm. people commonly put on whilst they're running, and that's certainly what we used initially. And then we found that, you know, people found that a little bit inconvenient and messy to have one of those, you know, by the bedside, especially if it's the same one that you're using for training during the day.
2: Oh, yeah. So, a bit stinky. Yeah, a bit stinky. <laughs> yes,
0: potentially. So we, we actually created a, a new design of a finger sensor, which was a, a variation on the kind that's used in, in hospitals that you see mm. all the time you know, in casualty in programmes like that, when people have a sort of red light shining through the end of their finger. So we develop one of those that plugs into the phone and that can measure the pulse accurately. We actually get lots of questions on whether or not you can use your Apple Watch or your Fitbit or your Garmin. And unfortunately, it's not so much the accuracy of the device. It's actually the position on the body, which is just not very good for getting very accurate pulse signals. So the back of the wrist doesn't have a lot of blood flow, whereas the fingertip does and is is a much better site for, for doing the kind of accuracy that we need for heart rate variability measurement.
2: I love the fact that you talk about you can use heart rate variability to take guilt-free rest days. Yeah. But can you tell me a bit more about this and what you mean? Yeah,
0: sure. So there's quite a bit of time pressure and quite often you've only got limited You know, slots during the week when you can actually do your training. And the temptation is to go what we call comfortably hard every time you go out. So let's say you've got, you know, an hour and 10 minutes Mm -hmm. uh, one evening, then you'll just go out and run as hard as you think you can for an hour and 10 minutes. But actually, the point about the, 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 the guilt-free rest days is that if you do get a red on your HRV, on your sleep reading, that's really telling you that training is not actually going to be productive for you. So there's really no point in doing it. You're like, just as likely to make things worse as you are to make them better. But the other thing you can do is you can help your body recover with some active recovery. So spend if you have that slot available, use it to do... Yoga, Pilates, easy swimming, a walk in the park, anything that you find relaxing which doesn't get your heart rate up very high. But active recovery is in many ways superior for, get, for helping your body to recover too, to just, you know, vegging out on the couch. Although if you feel like vegging out on the couch, <laughs> yeah, you can I mean, do that too with a box set. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, there's so much on at the moment, isn't there? There is, yes. Because you've done quite a few triathlons and Ironman so, did you you obviously did them before you started using HRV and then you've done them afterwards? Did yeah. you notice a big change in the way yeah. that in your times or your training?
0: Yeah, so I I mostly do competitive long distance cycling nowadays and the reason I got interested in HRV was that I had a number of friends who were doing they they were, they were kind of doing much better than I was in competitive events. And I knew that I wasn't that talented. I'm kind of a middle-of-the-pack kind of guy. Um, So I wasn't super talented, but I wanted to make the most of what abilities I did have. And I read this article about HRV and and saw that there weren't any consumer-friendly devices at the time and immediately right. got interested in it and thought, you know, with with my background in electronics and consumer products, here's something, you know, I could, I could put my mind to. And that quickly led to uh, setting up my own company and quitting the day job. And that was a few years ago now. But uh, it has definitely benefited me. And I've also discovered things about my body that I wouldn't have known otherwise, because one of the really interesting things about HRV is that it responds very quickly to lifestyle changes that you make. Okay. So not only the things we mentioned before, like the sort of diet, the sleep and the stress management, but things like deep breathing. I mean, my, my wife is a big yoga fan. And uh, she was always telling me about the benefits of slow, deep breathing, and I, I, I didn't really believe it. But I thought, okay, I'll just try it. And I found that amazingly, my HIV went up by more than you know almost any other thing that I'd tried. So I learned something about myself, and I've I've been doing slow, deep breathing every day, every day since, and meditation as well. So Um, you learn things about yourself, and that helps you know improve. so, HRV can tell you about recovery. It can also tell you about your prospects for longevity as well. So, high HRV is associated with good health and very good prospects for living healthily into an old age, which, you know, all of us pretty much are, are concerned about now. There are articles out there that people have written, you know, on their journey using using HRV, things they've found have worked very well for them and people will write stuff about having cold showers and that's... Uh... yeah.
2: <laughs> it's another one.
0: It's another one. It's definitely another one. And in fact, cold showers are... are are actually, in studies, have come out really well for um, helping people reduce their chances of uh, winter colds and flu. All you have to do, actually, is just make the last 15 seconds really cold. So you just have to get brave and at the end of the shower, turn it it to fully cold and just stand Stand underneath it it for 15 seconds and you come out feeling really refreshed and it helps your immune system.
2: Do you think that it's more important for runners to be using HRV than to just be tracking their heart rate during their runs?
0: I think the two are entirely complementary, Okay, uh, Amy. So uh, do your HRV every training day morning at least, ideally sort of between five and seven days a week, but certainly on your training days because then, of course, the traffic light first thing in the morning can tell you how ready you are to do your planned training on that day and it gives you an opportunity to modify it. Yeah. The heart rate during running is important so that you basically um, you manage the intensity of the run according to whatever zone you're supposed to be in. Now, most of the training plans that you get, for instance you know the 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 London Marathon standard training plans, and you know there's all kinds of coach training plans available out there, both both free and paid for ones, they will give you intensities to run at. For the you know the, the the build up and the different sessions and to get the most out of them it's really quite important to follow those yeah. so the heart rate during the run will tell you what zone you're in at that particular time yeah. and if you manage that well that will also reduce your chances of injury as well as uh, as well as making sure that you you get the most out of that training session so the the two are entirely complementary
2: okay so one's not better than the other it's they work hand in hand. And helping you just to learn more about your body and how it's handling the training.
0: Now, there are some some really quite good runners who don't run with um, heart rate monitoring uh, because they prefer to listen to their body, but the Mm. HRV is still useful to them. So even some, you know, top runners who've used iThlete in the past, like Liz Yelling, for instance, said that HRV on iThlete really helped her confirm her training choices for the day. So even very experienced runners who might not use monitoring whilst they're actually running, they, they find that the HRV first thing in the morning is still useful
2: for people just to start wrapping their heads around it how much does athlete cost for Uh, for everyone that's listening in and they're thinking god this sounds amazing but it's gonna cost me a fortune
0: no it's it's (laughs) seven pounds on the app store so it's not too much and that'll work with your existing heart rate strap
2: amazing if you had one tip for marathon runners this season what would it be
0: I think my main tip would be, I mean, aside from recording your HRV, obviously, (laughs) would be to fuel your body appropriately. So some days are are days when you will need relatively large amounts of of carbs to fuel your your runs. And other days you can go um, a bit easier on the carbs. But you don't need to go heavy on the supplements either. You know, take a food first approach, just, uh, you know, buy good quality ingredients, cook stuff, enjoy it. It's fun
2: can't wait to do that.
3: Well, well,
2: thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you very much for introducing us all to HRV and how that can change our training and advising us all maybe to take more rest days. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way?
0: Uh, well, the best way is, uh, is probably through the website, which is myithlete.com, M Y I T H L E T E.com. There's a contact us form there with different kinds of inquiries. And uh, we're also on uh, Twitter and Facebook, of course.
2: And the Ithlete app is in the Apple App Store along with Android as well. So yes, Google along Play.
0: with Google Play as well. Yes. Brilliant.
2: Thank yes. you so much.
0: You're welcome, Amy. It's been a pleasure. <music>
2: So that is the sound of Alice Living, (laughs) who is this week's Run Chat guest. And
3: I couldn't wait to get Alice on here because over the past three years, I've watched you go on such a journey. Such a journey. You've been there like almost every step of the way as well.
2: (laughs) It all began, didn't it? Off the back of school and going into dance training. Uh huh. And you started to use your Instagram to document your own health journey.
3: Yeah. It was really a food diary to start with and I barely ever put sort of like pictures of myself or anything onto there. It was more just that I wanted a bit of motivation to stick to sort of a way of eating that I thought would help me to improve how I was feeling, improve my mood and my energy levels at college. But then it very quickly became this page where I was able to converse with other people that were sort of doing a similar thing to me. And then as soon as I started to post sort of pictures of myself and talk more about my own personal journey and more about like, you know, feelings and emotions and all that stuff that comes along with it, it really grew to be something so much bigger than um, just a food diary. And then the rest is history really. If anything, the last three years of having the page have allowed me to really explore like who I am, to learn more about myself and to grow and evolve. And as part of that growth and that kind of like progression of me and my brand, I very quickly realized that the Clean Eating Alice title, you know, whilst it might have been great when I chose it when I was, you know, cooking in my little student flat in Sidcup, wasn't necessarily embodying everything that I was then doing, and I just felt like it really needed a bit of a, an update and uh, just embody who I am a bit more, and I guess what embodies me more than, like, my name? Yeah. <laughs> so that was, the, that was the kind of motivation for the change, really. When I first started the page, I placed so much emphasis on weight loss and that was like my motivation and, and actually like I hung so much of my hopes and dreams on the fact that everything was going to be amazing. Once I lost weight, I very quickly realized that it wasn't. And I realized that I'd placed so much of my energies on changing my physical state but leaving my emotional and my mental well-being probably a few steps behind, which is never good. So it kind of got to the point where I, I, I realized that I was not doing myself any good by just constantly trying to achieve, you know, weight loss or promote that. And like, it's one of those things that you start to learn about and you start to realize having gone through that, that, okay, some things might, that I done might have been fine, but some things also, I probably wouldn't do now, or I definitely wouldn't do now. And um, I guess going back to what I was saying, that's part of that self-growth and self-development that I have, feel like I've been through. Because I feel like that...
2: Recently, you did that really powerful Instagram post. And yes. it was to do with a 10-year challenge. Uh-huh. And so you did the Instagram post where you compared the two pictures. Mm-hmm. And in one, you were potentially smaller. Yeah. And in your own words, not as ripped No, to
3: today, but yeah, you said you're far happier. Um, yeah, and I think it's difficult because like anytime you post anything physical, people are like, oh god, but even I don't look like that in your after photo. It's like, for me, it was less about the way I looked and just more about my state of mind in both of the photos. And I think that's what I really try to encompass in the caption is that, regardless of how I look or how much I, you know, might weigh or however ripped I am in the first photo, um, I'd be the first to admit that I got carried away with this whole, um, this whole kind of exciting journey that I've been on of like loving exercise, loving going to the gym, wanting to work out all the time. And if you set a precedent of always doing that stuff, If you ever try and pull it back, it feels like, oh God, I'm not doing anything. Like I should be going to the gym or going to a class. And when that environment is then fueled by social media, which constantly tells you, you have to be working out all the time. You have to be eating well all the time. It's kind of like a very difficult cycle to break out of. Um, And then I guess fast forward to now, I can't remember when it really was, but I just started to have this big realization of like, there's so much more to life. then looking a certain way and doing these things all the time. Exercise, you know, is great, but it's also great in moderation. And it's actually much better for us in moderation than all the time. You know, like too much of of anything is bad, even if it's good for you. And I think that's just part of getting older. You start to realize, you know, there's way more going on in the world and way more that matters than like your body fat percentage. So, yeah. That's kind of what initiated that post. And do you think you're doing a lot of work with women's aides at the moment? Yes. And you bravely
2: came out and spoke about the abuse, both mm-hmm. physically and emotionally, you suffered in the past. Uh-huh. Is, that, is that helping you at the moment by talking about it to work on your mental well-being? is it?
3: Yeah, I think it's extremely cathartic, for one thing, to, to be able to openly now speak about a very dark time But also, like, because that's it's some guts. Yeah. And also, I was scared, like, for me to even come out and say, oh, you know, this happened to me. This was a part of my life. And to go so publicly with it was actually quite scary for me because, you know, that person is out there still. And whether they're viewing my stuff or not, at some point, I was worried that they might see it, it they might retaliate. And there's always that fear in the back of my head. I guess that's what what keeps me wanting to talk about it, to share stuff around the charity, because they do so much good and they help so many people. And if anything, working with them has just opened my eyes to how much they do and how much more they could do if they had the funding, you know? So that's been part of my own personal recovery. And it's been really rewarding to have been able to do that with them. It's been quite cathartic to open up, and up about stuff and to feel that it's not going to be, you know, laughed at. There is that like fear, isn't there, that we, a lot of the time we self-impose on ourselves, but it's how are we going to be received by others? Yeah. And I think something there's so much to be said for being vulnerable, you know, like it feels like the most difficult thing to do sometimes, but often it's the stuff that's most well received from my audience is when you do show vulnerability and show, you know, not perfect all the time, I'm human. You know, like, social media can make us feel as though the world is just so perfect and everyone's living these perfect lives and everyone has, you know, is happy all the time. And actually, the good thing is the kind of increase of people talking about mental health and all sorts has kind of taken that sheen off it a little bit and allowed it to feel a bit more of an accepting space.
2: And last year when you ran the Royal Parks half, yes, that was that was quite a different journey for you. Having flashbacks
3: now? Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) As Um, we run through the beautiful parks, um, it was you know like running for me, it was my nemesis. Everyone has their thing. Like I think when I first found strength training, it was like oh my god, thank God there's a way of exercising that isn't running (laughs) because I hate running. But um. When Women's Day said to me, would you be interested in doing the, the Royal Parks? Like we've got a place. I was like, do you know what? What better way to like challenge myself than to do something I absolutely hate? So I agreed and it felt like so far away as well. But I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'll start training in a few months. Did you hate it because of the pressure to be good at it? Or was it just that it's the general rhythm of running? I think, I think it actually stems from like school you know, when you have to go out and do cross country and those sorts of things. And I was just never good at it. And as a typical competitive person, I therefore decided that because I wasn't good at it, I hated it. And also going back to like, before I started clean eating Alice, my idea of exercise was going to the gym, running on a treadmill for like 20 minutes, and hating every minute you know counting down the treadmill minutes yeah and then finishing and being like right i'm done so i just had a bad bad relationship with it i guess in fact i remember my first run i was telling someone this story the other day i was like right i'll start slow i'll run to my friend steph's house she lives like literally around the corner and i'll just run there and that'll be my first challenge so i um started and um thought, oh yeah, this is all right. Within about a minute, Amy, I'm not kidding. I stopped. I was like, oh my God, I can't breathe. Got to Seth's, had run walked the whole way, which is like a few sets running, few sets walking. Got to hers and was like, I'm dying. Get me a glass of water. I can't do this. Like really panicking about it. And then, um, put it off training again for like another two weeks. And then finally decided that I had to do something. So, started doing like very very slow 2k 3k and just built up from there but it was really tough like mentally and physically but what kept you going was the fact that you had the half marathon at the end of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i kind of told people that i was doing it so i had to commit it was a nice amount of pressure added that like people knew i was doing it so that i couldn't pull out or not do it i suppose that's part of the problem with being in the spotlight isn't it like there are so many brilliant wins to it but yeah And there's so many people out there quick to call you up on stuff if you say you're going to do something and you don't I know Um, so yeah, I think the fact that I'd like openly said yeah I'm doing this meant that I couldn't back out unless I got like a serious injury um, which thank god I didn't so you know by the end of it I did enjoy it and even the race itself like I remember seeing you at the end and I was like it was amazing but um, yeah the build up was tough It's
2: so interesting though, isn't it? Because so many people would presume um, from who you are and the years you've had on social media and all the fitness that you've done, Uh that if someone
3: says to you, let's go running, you'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I know, but um, actually I think that was one of the nice things about when I was saying during my training that I really wasn't enjoying the running and I was finding it really difficult. I remember loads of people being like, thank God, like, you feel so relatable as a result, you know, because it, sometimes it can feel as though you're, you're the only beginner in the room or you're the only person that can't do X or Y. So yeah, it was nice to have people say, Oh God, like, I'm so glad you find it hard. <laughs>
2: Is there anything else you really do for self care at the
3: moment? I've really started to get into um yoga and I try and do that at least once a week. And I think I get a lot of people message me about it saying like, do you count that as your training? And I'm always like, I don't do yoga for my body. It's never like a really tough yoga class. I do it for my mind. Like it's the perfect opportunity to take an hour, to just focus on like breathing and not being on my phone and being in an environment where I can really just relax. So I've been doing that, but then also like reading, having a bath, watching a film, like all the normal stuff. I don't do anything too wacky, but, um, I guess it's more just trying to be, um, strict on myself to do it rather than sit on my laptop for an hour. Yeah. Cause that's the temptation, isn't it? hmm God, sometimes i have three devices going, my phone,
2: my laptop, the telly. Yeah. But yeah, In my heart, I know I should shut them all down,
3: Uh take myself offline and I'm going to feel better for it. Yeah. I think if you set a precedent of, um, always being, always working all the time, it feels really difficult to do any less because like when you suddenly might not even do like, you know, cut your work short by half an hour so that you can practice a bit of self care in your head where I know I feel like this, I'm like, Oh God, I'm not doing anything. I should be doing something. Why yeah. am I not doing something? Whereas, um, if you always make it a rule that you, you know, on a Wednesday night, you finish at 6.30, take away and read a book or go to yoga or do something like that. You, you set a, pre- a good precedent and hopefully you'll stick to it. When you did your marathon runs, where did you go? One of my routes was, um, around Fulham, which is where I live, which was lovely because you go down the river to Hammersmith and back. I teamed up with one of my good friends, Jenny Squatters, and um, she became my running partner for the entirety of my training. And we used to do a run which went from Fulham all the way down to Westminster and like crossing over and back, which was a good one. And then some of them around here, because obviously I work in Soho. So I used to run with um, a guy called Harry Jameson, who we'd run with and we'd go down through St. James's Park and all round up through Hyde Park sometimes. So yeah, those were my main routes. And did you run with music or did you run no, with No, I didn't actually. I actually really don't like running with music. I find it quite off putting because I just like to know everything that's going on around me and I like to, I'm really nosy. And part of the joy for me of running was like people watching and seeing what else was going on around me. So no, I'm not a music runner. Interesting, because I find it so tough, unless I'm plugged in. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like Paddy runs listening to podcasts, and I'm like, yeah. my mind can't focus on something like that. I've got to be just sort of in the zone of running. Oh, yeah, that's that's my jam. Mm. I run with podcasts in, um, or Audible. Yeah.
2: Um, I listen to a lot of books when I run. Nice. A lot of the time, fiction, because I like to
3: lose myself in a different world. Yeah but yeah, not the world which is around me, like some fictional world. Yeah, yeah, no, I think everyone's different and I think that's the other thing, like when it comes to running, like I've learned everyone has a different routine and a style, I hate running with Paddy, he's way too quick for me, he finished the marathon in, the half marathon in 128, no training. Wow. Unbelievable, <laughs> so I'm like, I refuse to run with you, so yeah, everyone has their own groove. Cause I never regret a run. No. Even if I stop and I have to walk the rest of the way home, mm-hmm. I still feel better for being outside. Yeah. And so it is about being outdoors. Like, I, I'm not someone that can run on a treadmill ever. And I did all my marathon prep training outside just because I have to get that feeling of being in open space. Do you think that's because you spend so many hours indoors? Yeah, maybe. But also, I just don't like running on a treadmill. No. Um, it's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, and we are nearly back. We are nearly there. Been lovely, though, despite the rain and all the all the elements that the world has thrown at us today. Yeah. What you guys can't see right now is a a very soggy Alice and I
2: in central London. Um, But I think that's one of the things about you.
3: You're you're just up for up for anything. Yeah, in a good way, always like Everything's a challenge despite the fact that the entire day um, I've been preparing myself for this. I've actually done it and it's an achievement and I knew that I'd feel 10 times better at having done it. And I don't know if you can tell but I messaged Amy earlier and I was like, hey Amy just checking in about today is the rain going to affect anything (laughs) like really hoping that you'd be like yeah let's just not do it and i was like i'm so glad that you were like no we're doing it (laughs) because it made me be like yep we're definitely doing it the only thing that will affect is our hair i know you can dry your clothes off exactly we'll all be Um, fine and i haven't regretted it and you're so right i feel a million times better for having done it so thanks for having me oh Oh, it's amazing (laughs) and so for everyone listening in who's on their own running
2: journey. Yeah. Well, as a PT Uh and somebody who trained for a half marathon.
3: Yeah. What's one bit of advice that you'd give them? First thing I'd say, start slow. It's important to always just, you know, start really slow and to ensure that you don't run before you can walk, basically, which is a bit of a bad phrase to say. But yeah, I mean, Secondly, I'd say always try and support your running training with some strength training. It really does help and helps to prevent injury. Um, Even if that's just one day a week of something that's a bit running specific like some unilateral work and some strength work in there to support your running. And then finally, do not compare your progress to anyone else (laughs) because like, yeah, my running journey was so different to like yours and to Paddy's and to anyone else's, but it was perfect for me. So the fact that I just sort of had to put a few blinkers on and just focus on my own progression really helped me to stay on the straight and narrow i love that yeah well thank you very much thank you so much for having me and thank you to
2: everyone listening in and obviously you know who alice is if you want to follow her she's on instagram as alice living um she's also got her event series called living well which you share on your instagram my instagram yet.
3: anything else to share um so yeah i think my collection with primark my recollection will still be in stores so go and get your hands on the last few pieces because it's really good
2: <laughs> great thanks so much guys thank until you. next week thank you so much for listening to welfare your guide to conquering 26.2 if you've enjoyed this episode please do take 30 seconds to rate and review us on itunes it really does make all the difference and i and the team read absolutely everything you write which means the world to us New episodes will be released every Sunday on all the usual podcast platforms, so please do subscribe and never miss a notification. Until then, thanks again to all of you for listening and supporting us, and thanks to Mags Creative, the producers of this show.
0: Planning for your next trip?